Hi, Broadway fans. We're here for another week of Broadway Breakdown. Today we're discussing The Boy from Oz, so don't go away. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Broadway Breakdown. Coming home, you used to feel so good. I'm a stranger now in my neighborhood. I have this stuck in my head for my whole drive here. And I'm it's not even my favorite, like, I like the song, but it's not my favorite from the musical, but it's so catchy. It's so catchy. It is a catchy song, I agree. I just want to dance through it. I am not the boy next door. I don't belong like I did before. Anyway, you can't help it. We, of course, are talking... Boy from Oz. I almost said Boy Next Door because of the lyrics. <laughs> Boy from Oz today, um, which is most notably known, of course, by the famous Hugh Jackman. Um, I am bfips14 on Twitter and Instagram, and I'll be your host today. And joining me is the lovely... 123JackieB on all platforms, except for Snapchat, where I'm JackieB123. And Jackie over here just celebrated a birthday yesterday. 21! Just kidding. <laughs> Thanks, guys. So happy birthday, Jackie. Give Thank her some you. love on Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat. Thanks. Send you. her a little birthday cake emojis. I just sent her Norm Lewis. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that her, was very, very much appreciated. I was like, oh, Norm Lewis. <laughs> um, anyway, guys, welcome to Broadway Breakdown. Um, we're going to start our show as we always do with our news for the week, always brought to us by Robert Diamond and BroadwayWorld.com. Uh, this week was a lot of casting. Yes. There, there was a lot, like of, casting a lot going of casting going on this week. Going on. Um, and then my favorite news, the Moulin Rouge. Yeah, that's my favorite too. So that's yeah. what we're going to start off with. It was announced this week that they're turning Moulin Rouge into a Broadway musical, which I'm, I'm so excited I'm about. I'm just surprised it took this I long. I know, right? You know? <laughs> like, that's, that's, that's from like, I think I was 13 when that came out. Yeah, it came out in the late 90s. And so... I, like what is it? I don't. I can't do math, but it's been like at least fifteen years. I, since I just the late remember 90s. listening to the soundtrack um, on a flight I took to uh, Washington D.C., which we did that in my eighth grade school trip. Mm-hmm. So I know by the time that it was in theaters, I was at least thirteen, if not younger. So yeah. that was two thousand and one, two thousand and two. So if not late nineties, early two thousands, one of the two. I think it. I, th- I think it was late 90s because I was still in high school, which might date me a bit. Um, but either way, I'm so excited. Maybe it has to do with the rights because Maybe. most of but the music... But it was music... the director. It was um, Lerman... Oh, the music. I see what you're saying now. Sorry, yeah, I'm saying... saying... Like, I-, I was saying that because Baz Lerman, he is originally uh, a theater director and his wife is a theatrical set designer. So a lot of the movies that he makes, he did Romeo and Juliet and The Great Gatsby... Um, and he just did the, the get down for Netflix. Um, a lot of the stuff, and I'm, I'm totally obsessed with him. A lot of the stuff he does that ends up as movies or TV is very theatrical because Mm -hmm. that's where his expertise comes from. And then his wife ends up doing the set. And I think, I think she did do the set for Moulin Rouge. My dad always just gets down on this musical so much though because and on i think on lerman's style in general because he does take current day songs and put them and he's like why are they singing nirvana and the beatles and stuff and this is early late 1800s early 1900s why are they doing that but see i love it i mean it's so his work is so postmodern sometimes 
the song doesn't register for me. Like in Moulin Rouge, I loved all of it. Um, in Great Gatsby, there was a couple songs that I was like, ah, this is making me kind of lose the feel. Because I feel like The Great Gatsby is such a movie about the feel of the 20s rather than the story. I don't care much about the story because I just hate Daisy so much. But <laughs> she's, she's that, uh, <laughs> uh, what's her name who played her was great in this yeah, most no, recent like, movie. Yeah, no, the actress is great. Um, Carrie Mulligan, I yes, say. Carrie Mulligan. Yeah. yeah, but the the role is just the character is despicable. Um, but yeah, so his his stuff can I like overall, but just sometimes there's a little bit of a. But I can imagine with songs like "Like a Virgin," you have to to be able to perform that song on stage. There's there's a certain amount of rights that have, to, have to be to. given up. I think he's singing Bowie songs too. So, well, Bowie did the um, Nature Boy song in the right. movie. So I think um, to be able to secure rights from a lot of these like big name artists is probably the only holdup I can think of because it's so it's such a it's such a stage piece when you yeah. look at it. I'm just excited to see how they're going to do all the sets. Yes, uh, like the elephant. The elephant has to be there, of course. So how course. are they going to do it? Well, that is going to be coming. There's no date yet. Um, we have John Logan and Alex Timbers are going to be a part of it. That is pretty much all we know as of right now so we're very excited to hear more especially the date that it comes yes um next up we have justin garani margot siebert james snyder telly luang and more will lead in transit on broadway and in transit's the acapella musical that we talked about a few weeks ago on the on the show um that one's going to be coming to town pretty soon i think in this like, october i'm excited for that too it seems like the cast was pretty big or maybe that's just because all the casting is, came I mean, out at once it's interesting yeah maybe because <laughs> <laughs> um, there's it seems to be a good mix of like people that have been on broadway and people making a broadway debut that yes are, i'm assuming acapella singers i don't i'm not big in the acapella world so i don't necessarily know names mm-hmm. um i have friends that are so i could ask them but yeah so I, i'm assuming that they're acapella people um that one is going to follow 11 new yorkers all hoping to catch the express train to success, love and happiness, and the stops they make along the way. And it says tickets for in transit are ranging from 89 to 50, $159. I don't think that's too bad. That's not for Broadway. I don't think that's too bad. <laughs> no. Com- I'm comparing everything to Hamilton at right? this point, but, you know. <laughs> Hamilton and uh, Book of Mormon. Those, those are my price range set points. You know what's right interesting now. is, like, I saw Book of Mormon here, and it was much more affordable to see it here. Well, yeah, I mean, on tour, it's always yeah. way cheaper. Even what we and think it was is still, expensive. And it was still like 150 bucks for like an orchestra Yeah, seat. even what we think is expensive here is like in New yeah. York. <laughs> um, and then Once on This Island is coming to Broadway, and it's going to be directed by Michael Arden. So excited! This is the play that, um, besides Secret Garden, that I did for my senior year at a, uh, at a college. And it was like my first like college. Like I wasn't in college. I was in high school. And it was like my first like college production I was ever in. So it's huge for me that I'm like, it's coming back. Sorry. Okay. I'm done now. No, that's not. Hey, people want to hear just how cool it is. Yeah. So like to me, it was really awesome because the entire cast was Filipino. So and it was just awesome. Um, And if you guys want more info on that, there's also not it was just announced that it's coming back. So uh, you can go to onceonthisisland.com to get any more information they have as of now. But basically, just the fact that it's coming back is all they have. Um, and then Nick Cordero, Cordero uh, Richard H. Blake, Bobby Conte Thornton, Ariana DeBoss, and more are going to lead a Bronx Tale on Broadway, which was a movie that they're turning it. Uh, I believe they're just turning it. I haven't heard of it before, so I don't think it's. I haven't being heard of it before back. either. But this is going to be helmed by Robert De Niro. Yeah, Robert De Niro and Jerry Zachs are going to co-direct it. 
um, which should be interesting. Alan Menken is doing the music. I love Alan Menken. I, I'm just I'm just curious as to to just to see the 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 um, collaboration between Robert De Niro and how that fits with Alan Menken. I'm waiting for that to unfold. I want like I want like the super New York New Jersey like esque song, but like not Newsies style speaking, right. but like the more gangstery. I don't know. Yeah. It's, I don't know it, if that'll happen. But it should be really it. it should be really interesting to see how those those two kind of worlds blend. Yeah. Um and this is gonna take you to the stoops of the Bronx in the nineteen sixties, where a young man is caught between the father he loves and the mob boss he'd love to be. Featuring an original doo-wop score, this is a tale about respect, loyalty, love, and family, which I uh, I love doo-wop, so I'm really happy they're doing a doo-wop score. And that seems very Alan Menken to me, because he's very, like, upbeat. And I'm, all, I'm wondering, because, like, Alan Menken tends to put a lot of humor into his work, so I'm wondering if this is going to be more on the funny side. It might be, like, a dark comedy. Right. I don't know, because I don't know how much the mob aspect is going to be present because i've never seen the movie right um if anyone out there has seen the movie let and knows know. about the story let us know kind of what it's about um and then finally we have the full cast was announced for freaky friday which is going to be making its world premiere in dc this fall october 4th through november 20th at the signature theater signature theaters max theater do you know what the you're from dc right Yes, but I actually I don't, don't know, that one. know where that is, or if it it could have been a under a different name, and that I haven't lived there in over ten years, so okay. it could it could very well be a theater that had a different name at the time. Um, the two top names that were quoted alongside we already knew Heidi Blick and stuff and Emma Hutton were going to be in it, but it was Jason Gote as Adam and uh, I think I wrote this down wrong. On H Green as Mike, um, and like think that's about it for today for the news so thank you again to robert diamond and broadwayworld.com and you guys can go check out more on these stories because we just cover a little bit of them there's a whole there's many articles and there's many more articles besides just these ones too every week on broadwayworld.com thank you all right let's dive into this musical the Uh, life of peter allen life of peter allen peter allen was an australian um songwriter uh, he was married to Liza Minnelli. Is pro- that's what I knew him as, was that he was married to Liza Minnelli and came out as gay afterwards. I didn't... You know what's interesting is before this musical came out, um, I didn't... In the early 2000s, I didn't really know anything about Peter Allen. But then once I heard the music for the musical, I was like, oh, uh, I recognize like all of his music. Mm-hmm. And I think we can talk about that when we talk about how they uh, increase the characters of, of Liza and Judy Garland. Um, but he, I, I don't know, it, it, he's like clearly not going to be as recognizable as to an American audience yeah. as, as Liza and Judy. And but like his songs are so recognizable. Well, yeah, like you said, you'll know his songs. Like the two songs that picked up me, and I'm blanking on, I always blank on the titles because I know the song. Like I have to sing a bit of the song to think of the title, but it's the... Uh, the one is Mother Sings. Oh, Don't Cry the, Out Loud. Don't Cry Out Loud, thank you. Yeah. And um, the love one that he sings with... Uh, that his, I honestly love you. I honestly love you, thank yeah. you. See, this is what I'm saying. I blank on titles. Yeah. Um, those two were the most recognizable to me, mm-hmm. um, listening to it. And now listening to it again uh, and watching some clips, I'm like, more and more is like becoming slightly familiar. Like, I don't, I don't know where I heard it, if it's just the style, but it's 
it was there in my childhood somewhere. I think the most recognizable for me was I go to Rio, but then of course, like I had heard, uh, don't cry out loud. And I honestly love you. And, um, uh, and now I'm blanking on this song, the song, uh, the song that he sings with Liza when they first meet. Oh, the one where she does the whole, like over the goddamn rainbow. Yeah. Down the yellow brick road. Yeah. Uh, older woman. No, not Judy Garland. Not Judy Garland. Oh, with Liza. Liza. Oh, uh, the first one with the when she's wearing the sweater, the oversized sweater. Yes. Oh, I forget the name too. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I didn't write it down. Sorry. Um. Sorry. By the way, I'm wearing my. This is my goat kind of Peter Allen esque thing. It's like a tropical shirt. I love it. White pants. Love it. Love it. I love think it. That's as close. I, I wasn't about to tie up my shirt. <laughs> um. So, like Jackie mentioned, this because this was originally an Australian production, they brought it to the United States, which is when it starred Hugh Jackman. Um, it was kind of based off of this documentary, A Boy from Oz, which they it was just a bunch of interviews and stuff of people from his life, and that's how they kind of created the story. Um, and then they took out certain Australian phrases when they brought it to Australia because they knew Americans wouldn't understand them. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they made They Liza. took out a lot of songs, Yeah, too. they took out some songs. And then Liza and Judy were brought in much bigger, which is, I think, made sense for an American audience. Because that's what, like you said, we're going to know those characters more. You know, even though um, an American audience would recognize the songs, um, because he played Radio City Music Hall and whatnot, like, even though they would recognize the songs, I don't think when you're showing... Uh, when it, you know it's like early 2000 and like this guy's legacy is more of his music whereas someone and he was more prominent in the 70s and 80s right whereas people like our age we still like e- even as a kid like I would still be able to recognize okay like I know Judy Garland at least from the Wizard of Oz you know I know Liza Minnelli as her daughter and um, from Cabaret and so when you have these like iconic um, movie actresses to bring the American audience kind of like to the story, you're going to want to play up that. Plus like an American audience is going to, is like, we just, we just love seeing people like reenact our movie stars. So if you only had a small role, I'm sure there would be, there would be mass chaos being like, why isn't there more Liza and Judy? Well, plus it, it gave us like a look into a different aspect of Liza and Judy that we don't know, or maybe don't know. Um, and I don't know if they... If she loves to hear the music. Sorry. That was the one. I looked it up. <laughs> okay. Um, but I don't know if they, like, fabricated it slightly or not. Because in this, like, Judy Garland is kind of a bitch. I think she was, like, not not to be mean to Judy Garland, but I think she was, like, later in life because she was on so much drugs. Mm-hmm. I think that um, not necessarily that like she was a bitch but more so it's like you have a person who like she says like i just came out of a coma like yeah she doesn't want to perform because she doesn't feel good she's more karen from will and grace at this right. point um i just thought it was interesting because like i didn't know judy garland as like a personal person like i'd never seen interviews or anything of that with her growing up i just knew her like wizard of oz and her other films so i just knew this person that she always portrayed so then watching this musical and seeing them have her first like line basically be what am i gonna why am i gonna do stuff for those people those are strangers i don't know what have they done for me i'm not doing something for them like was like what yeah no she's she's super nice what are you talking about (laughs) 
It's just, I, I mean, it's a different, it's a different view of Judy Garland's as a view of her at the end of her life when... As well as Liza. Yeah. Because Liza, when you first meet her, is so naive and energetic and, like, wanting this love from her mother. Right. Right. But I always, you know, what's interesting is uh, I used to watch old interviews um, of young Liza and she was always kind of like, when she was younger, she was always kind of like in her mom's shadow. Yeah. It wasn't until like Cabaret where it's like, okay, this is Liza. Like we well, have yeah, Liza. When you're someone like Judy Garland's daughter, it's right. really hard to break out of that. Right. We have Liza as an icon now past Cabaret. But when she was younger, yeah, she's in she's in her mom's shadow. And I do appreciate that this musical kind of shows shows Liza's trajectory too from being kind of like this this awkward teenager whose mom is famous to being famous in her own right. Mm -hmm. Um, And also this musical, it just, as well as just delving into like people that we knew growing up and people that we associate with certain things and giving us a different taste of them, it also touches on these like really important subjects that were happening in the 70s and 80s uh, and they, but they do it in such a very slight way in my mind, like especially with like the gay issue and stuff, because they just make it like seem. Watching this musical from the beginning, watching him as a kid, like in your mind, you're like he's gay, mm-hmm. um, and then he marries Liza Minnelli, and you like even throughout he's talking about, oh, like we had girlfriends. I mean, my sexual orientation was a little more dabbled or something like that. He would go through. And it was obvious to the audience that he was gay, but then after he married Liza and they got divorced and he's with this man, it's just he's with this man. Like, there's no, I'm gay now. Yeah. I think, though, that also speaks to the time where it's like you had these people who had to almost, like, on some level fool themselves Mm -hmm. as well. Um, I mean, I guess you could could argue that because he loved Liza, he was bisexual, but I don't know. I see him. I I read something and he, like, I guess fully came out as gay after he yeah i see him more i see him more as gay he had he had a life partner for the rest of his life um i i think that what was i gonna say my my, my brain just melted but but you had these people that had to kind of like fool themselves because society even though if you're living in like a big city like new york or los angeles the locals will not care but when you're watching somebody perform and and it's being broadcast across the country those those people are are less open-minded and less tolerant and so you kind of almost have to fool yourself to say okay well i'm you know um maybe i'm i'm straight and i'm just gonna you know keep on going like this but um and they also make the joke even later on to what you were saying um when he's with his manager and his manager is like well at least like you were with Liza, so they know you've stooped a girl at least once. Like, that whole oh, yeah. mentality of, like, he's not fully gay. It's okay. Like, people will still like him. Which it's is- just funny, too, because it's like, of course, of course, um, not to be stereotypical, but I feel like, of course, a gay man would want to marry Liza Minnelli. She's fabulous. <laughs> I feel like a lot of gay men have married Liza Minnelli. Right? Once. It's like marrying Barbara Streisand. Like, you get to say you were married to Liza Minnelli. How, like utterly fabulous is well, that. It, shows, it also shows what a huge impact like Judy Garland and Liza Minnelli had on the gay community. Like, Well, they she, both married gay men, so yeah. there's that. And then, But also, like, I don't know, that just seems to, they seem to look up to them a lot in one way or another. And so when she died, like, they showed, you know, that huge impact it had, how the world, like, changed for them because of her death. And, like, the police riots and everything. Like, it was huge. Yeah. 
Um, and of course, with having uh, the death of Judy, like you have him admiring this woman so much and writing a song, like he says, who writes a song for their mother-in-law. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have the death of his father too. And it's so different. Like having that, dis- he did, always had a disconnect. It seemed, well, I guess it's only one person, but with the man in his life, there was like that huge disconnect of like him shoving him away and him not being able to be loved by his father. Well, his father is like his father wasn't as is portrayed in the musical. Obviously, I don't know this guy personally. Yeah, but um, is is portrayed as this this like horrible woman beating drunk. Yeah. So, but she very may well have well been. have been, and it's like why like why would you want to have this relationship with him? And he then he ends up being so close to his mom, and his mom is so supportive of him, and she in her own right is fabulous um i love i love that she sings she sings that song yeah don't cry out loud i love that she sings that at the end because that is such like an iconic and beautiful song the lyrics are just so terribly sad though because it's like keep everything inside don't let anyone see your feelings or what your emotions are which is he had a huge problem with throughout his life at least the musical portrays it with relationships because he can't share with his partners, everything that's going on with him. But she had to do that too, because she she had to keep up with, so I think there's, and that's very much that mentality of like the fifties and stuff of like, you don't show other people, you don't spread your like dirty laundry around, which is, I just, I just find it very sad when, cause like now it's like people still have issues with like sharing their emotions or sharing their feelings with other people. And like, you don't have to have it all on your own back. Yeah, it is. I mean, it it is very sad, and it's interesting that it's like that's like the act of writing that song is the act of essentially crying out loud. It's it's like the the act of doing it is is the opposite of what the song is saying. I also just love how the musical brings it about because like you have you don't see any of that growing up. But like he stops the for those of you who hasn't who haven't seen the musical, maybe um, in the beginning whenever it starts getting bad, he stops the musical and says, "We don't need to see that." And yes. moves on. Um, and so you go throughout this whole musical and you see him having these issues in relationships and not being able to express his feelings properly. And then you circle back to his childhood and then his mother sings that. So then it's like, oh, now a lot more makes sense. And I think, you know, at the time, uh, the culture in both the U.S. and Australia was very hyper-masculine. So also the kind of music that he was writing was very, like... Uh, effeminate and in touch with himself and and I don't mean effeminate in the way that like I think all men and women have like a female thing inside of them and I'm not trying to say effeminate like oh he's a woman you know but I'm trying to say that like everyone has that in them and everyone everyone has sensitivity yeah everyone has has, yeah everyone has that quality and needs to let it out and so it it's really nice to see he goes from this kind of like repressive like hyper like masculine environment to then being able to like let let out his inner feelings um and then of course with him being gay and it being the 80s like and if you know anything about peter allen it's like you're just waiting for when the aids epidemic is gonna hit right and they don't do it in the way you think they would in my mind like i thought it was gonna be a big thing and they kind of just they make it very personal which i appreciated they make it very personal you're watching it and you're like it, it slides under the radar like it would in someone's household to to where his um, partner comes to him and he's like, oh, I'm sick. 
and then like the next minute you know he's gone and then yeah, um, it's like one song and he's and he's right dead. and then peter allen's character then uh is realizing he's sick and he's singing to his uh he's doing like a song with his dead lover mm-hmm. and i i love that it made it I love that it made it so, so personal, so one-on-one, um, and such a reflection of how this would feel to be just, like, one person in one relationship and have this happen to you. And now we, obviously, like, looking back, we knew more about, we knew more about AIDS and AIDS prevention and the kind of medicine that, that you can take to help you. And at the time, they didn't have all that information, so. Yeah, I mean, this was the very early onset of all of this happening. This is when people were just dying everywhere. And no one, it was just called like the, what was it, the gay cancer or something like that? Or the gay plague? It was, everyone just felt that only gay people could get this. Right, right. And I think that, um, I, I just, like, I love that, 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 um, that serenade, not serenade, but that song that he has with his partner, um, which which we mentioned. I honestly love you. Um, I, I watched, actually, on YouTube, you can find the performance, uh, the original performance with Hugh Jackman mm-hmm. um, in it. And he does this lovely job of, of wanting him to be there. And, and they do this great job of actually, like, portraying him as a ghost. I think in the version that we saw, it was more... Well, the version we we saw was also a much smaller stage. Right, it was a smaller stage. Uh, we saw it at the Celebration Theater here in Los Angeles, and which is a very small 99-seat yeah, theater. Yeah, it's on Highland, and uh, it's like a, like a block down from Highland, and I can't think of the cross street. If you know right, where the yeah, next door lounge is, if you're in the LA area, it's like right down from there. It's it's a great it's a great spot. It's a great theater. Loved, it fits like 20, 30 people tops. Loved the production. Um but because of the space constraints, you really, it didn't feel like a ghost. It felt like, oh, he had just come back with him and, and it's a duet and they're singing in the room versus when you watch the stage version, it's really like he's reaching out to him and he's not there. Mm-hmm. Just like you would feel like you're like, if you were all alone and you're like, I, I, this person feels so close to me, but I just can't, I just can't get to them anymore. Um, it's well, it's so well, it's so well choreographed. And, um, and I just love like the narration cause I love that he's like trying so hard to just be like, oh, it happens. But like, he's breaking down inside of himself at that moment and you registers with you, like with me, at least it registered so like much. I was like about to cry because like when, even when he finds out, he's like, I'm, I think I'm sick. And he's like trying to like not make a big deal of it. And when Liza comes to visit him, even with his mother, he's not trying to tell anybody what he, what what he's going through yeah it's that whole concept of don't cry out loud that whole concept um and the his character you can see peter allen all is always trying to bring in the fun so it's like you have these dark moments spliced in with with these like super fun dance numbers so um you get kind of this juxtaposition of of him trying to cheer himself up almost yeah um and then let's talk, like, as we talked about the music throughout this already, so let's just go into what our diva song was. What was your diva song for this show? You know what? It, it's funny because when I first, when we first saw the play together, I thought it was, and when I first heard the, um, the music back, back in the early 
2000s. I thought it was I go to Rio. Mm -hmm. But now that I'm older and and I I realized I kept looking up different versions of Don't Cry Out Loud after I watched that and I was like, now I'm going to see like the version that was like on America's Got Talent, not America's Got Talent, uh, Australian uh, the the voice and like looking up all these different versions and I'm like this song is so moving. So I think right now it's uh, don't cry out loud. Although sometimes I do feel in a uh, go to Rio kind of like Maraca, Maraca Copacabana sweet. mood. Mine has always been and it's still Boy Next Door. I love that song so much. It's so fun. It's so uplifting. And when I was moving to LA, it was kind of the feeling I had like not right when I when I first did, but like. I'd say after a year or so, like when I would go home and all of a sudden like being home didn't feel like home anymore. Completely like things were changing. People were moving on with their lives, like friends I had, like I would, weren't available to go just hang out anymore. It was just that feeling of like... You could never go back. Yeah. Like this is not where I am anymore. I'm somewhere else. And like every time you come home, like it's it's happy, but it's a little bit bittersweet because... There is, like, you have these memories from childhood that, like, as things change. Like, one time I went home and, like, just, like, three different buildings from, like, my childhood had been changed into different things. And I was like, what? Like, what is happening? Like, where are my, where's my childhood gone? Yeah, I mean, I feel that way. Like, I've gone back to D.C. and the mall that I used to go to as a kid, the mall I actually saw Moulin Rouge in, um, it's, like... There's almost no stores left in it, and we, my friends and I used to eat at the Cheesecake Factory there, which is, like, literally probably the one of the only stores left there, and I'm like, this is so crazy. It's like a ghost town. It's like, I, you know, your memories don't last. Yeah. Except um, in your memories. Except in your memories. And especially with someone, it's, it's interesting because Peter Allen starts to feel what, like, Judy Garland was, like feeling later in life where it's like once you've reached this level of like fame you you can't go back to being the boy next door you can't go back to being a normal person and um you can't you can't just walk out of a restaurant without somebody asking you to sing um and I love that they always they've done these scenes where they paired him up with his his younger very ambitious self um as if he's he's trying to like uh you know connect with that that person yeah um and we always encourage you guys uh let us know in the comments below what your diva song is uh if you ever want to we would love to have some people make videos we'd play them on our show it would be a lot of fun um, i would love that because I, would, I can't sing yeah. so if I mean, you want to sing for me I that sing, would be fabulous i sing i just don't know if i can you can sing you can oh, sing thank you I can. um now this musical i'm gonna play a little clip from the tony awards and we're gonna get into what it was nominated for and what it won this one is, I used kind of the, uh, getting into it more, the little section where he talks, because I think that gives you a better idea of what the musical is. Mm-hmm. And he's coming in on the, uh, he comes on the camel. He comes in on the camel, which is something that he did in, in, a, in a live performance, so. Lexus, I can't see it on the and it's so you know it's also funny watching all these clips of Hugh Jackman seeing this this role <laughs> I'm like he has an Australian accent which of course he does because he's from Australia but we're so used to him doing an American accent in in our films um as Wolverine and then in Les Mis that I was like uh, I'm so confused well I also it's also just funny because like when you think of Hugh Jackman you think now of this big muscly super Wolverine-esque dude and 
this was back when he was still very thin. Like, he was fit, but he was thin. Right. And, like, when you watch the old X-Men movies and you compare them with what he is now and you realize the order is that now is before these movies took place sometimes, like, even the, the original Wolverine, he's so skinny. Yeah. He know. really we, did bulk up. We can't see movies. the video right now, guys, but this is this is basically what I was talking about. This gives you just an idea of his, he's ad-libbing. Um, you nervous people in the front row all and this is kind of how you feel because he narrates the story oh. for you. He, Hugh Jackman himself, like I, Hello, Sarah, this is this is a play where you have to like cast this perfectly. Not only do you have to get nice, someone who can like ad lib with the audience and has kind of like an infectious personality that you want to follow their coast. story throughout, but then you have to get you have to get someone who can do spot on both Judy Garland and Liza Minnelli impressions. Um, because otherwise that whole portion will fall apart as well. This may be why it hasn't been revived. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard. Like, the production we saw, I have to say, the the woman who played Judy Garland was phenomenal. She was so spot-on old Judy. But the girl who played Liza just didn't... She looked like Liza, but she did not have a Liza voice. And I think... When when you have someone that has that iconic of a voice, it's it was really hard because you're like, ah, oh, so really you feel like Liza. Um, this is my favorite part of this whole clip, and it's when he starts just like dancing out like zeros in on his crotch and these gold pants. Have you done that before, Don? Have you ever done it for Matthew? I saw him. I saw Hugh, Hugh Jackman do a benefit concert here at the um, at the Oscar Theater in Hollywood. Um, or, it's not called the Oscars. It's called the Kodak Theater. But um, the theater where they have the Oscars. And he is, like, he is this very charismatic, very, like, can chat with the audience kind of person, has such high energy. You, I don't think you could have cast anyone better in this role. And that takes, like, a certain kind of personality to be able to do because you can't just do that usually... It's something you're born with that you have. Like yes. it's not. It's hard to learn. You can, but it's super, it's not yes. an easy thing to learn. Yes. Plus, you have to be like Peter Allen. Uh, it's it's a very like it's very energetic, and so you have him running all over. You have Hugh Jackman running all over the stage and everything, and I'm like, you have to be very fit to do this as well. Yeah. Which he, yeah he is. You scared of your top? I love this too because this is also the height of like Sex in the City. This is like, it was a few years in, but it was like when it got really big. So yeah. Just... yeah. Um, but yeah, this musical, it was nominated for Best Musical, Best Book of a Musical, Best Performance by Leading Actor in Musical by Hugh Jackman, and Best Performance by Featured Actress in Musical by both Beth Fowler and Isabel Keating. Um, and Hugh Jackman, of course, won. The rest um, did not. Um, but, you know. Some people argue, and we've talked about before in the show, like when it's hard to imitate, and when you're imitating, is it really a great performance or is it a great imitation? And from the videos I've seen, I thought they did a great job. I, did, I don't know what they were up against this year or why they would have lost, but... I, I do, too. I thought, they, I thought they were really good imitations, and it's just... Um, when... When you looked at uh, the two actresses, Stephanie J. Block and Isabel Keating, who who played Judy um, and Liza, they 
they had done a lot of Broadway before. Uh, for Stephanie, that was her first, like, or they had done a lot of theater before. For Stephanie, that was her first Broadway production, and then she went on to tour as Elphaba um, in Wicked. But a lot of it is you you just have to cast someone who acts like these people. And I do think that if you have had a lot of theater experience, you can clearly do other things, but you're going to have to get someone who can like resemble these, these people. Mm-hmm. And I do think that there's a talent in that. There's a people on Saturday night live, make a living out of imitating people yeah. and they can clearly do other things. They've gone on to do like TV, film movies, other, other types of roles. So there, I mean, you know, the, I, I don't, I don't think, um, I don't think imitation is like a, a cheap art. I, I do think it's hard to do. Yeah, it's just sometimes when you're up against people that are creating something, they have so much more freedom um, with what they do with the character. When you're imitating, you have. A I think it's more also restrict- it's just it's just more respected. Whether or not I agree with that is a whole different story, but it tends to be more respected that you can create a character out of nothing versus being someone who can merely imitate, which I don't, I just, I, I think don't buy that. it's almost harder to imitate, but like I, like I was saying, like, you know, it is, because I think it's hard because when you are creating, you have that blank canvas. You can make it whatever you want. Right, and sometimes when you are creating a character, um, I'm not saying this happens with every actor, but with a lot, a lot of times you're having a person who's using, who's cast for their own like personality or looks or something like that, where where sometimes there's not much you have to do because mm-hmm. that you're cast for it being like you. And obviously that doesn't happen with everyone, but in my head, I'm not going to give examples, but in my head I can think of several actors and actresses where I'm like, this person was just cast based on it being them versus yeah. them create actually creating. And I think that these characters, at least more, more so with, um, and this is what probably why she was nominated over Stephanie partly was, uh, Keating who played, uh, Judy. Judy. She really embodied Judy. And it's hard to do because when you have someone that people recognize so easily and that you have to not just look like them but embody their spirit, it's a lot to live up to. So I think she did a marvelous. Um, Beth Fowler was that the one I believe that was, was his the mom. mother. Yeah. yeah. She did, I mean, she was wonderful too. She was very moving. I mean, and the, she's a character that's hard because you have such little time on stage, you have these little tiny phone calls. That you're, but you have to like really portray that character, right? And you're almost isolated from the rest of the cast. I can imagine in the Australian production where the where the Liza and Judy characters were much like the mom character, where there it was kind of like these isolated snippets before they really became a like more of a through line. And now when you look, and when you look at this play after thinking about all of that too, and it just thought in my head. You have Hugh Jackman, who's on stage. It's almost a one-man show. Yes, yes. That's the other thing. It's like the guy. I was realizing it when we were watching our production, the production we saw in that in that small theater. He's like sweating. Like by the end of it, he is like drenched in sweat because he. There is not a moment where he is not on stage. Really, like even it, even when they had. Um, the little snippets with the mom and everything, he's standing off to the side. Or like if when other people are singing, he's playing the piano or playing the piano. So it is pretty much a one-man show. I thought it was an amazing performance that we saw. I think the show is amazing. I think it's really fun to go see, and it's worth your time to go see. I think it's super underrated. It surprised me when I looked at it that there wasn't like... 
a touring cast, really. I mean, you have a lot of local productions. I read. Well, the, I think that's part of what you said. It's hard to cast. Yeah. People maybe are too scared to cast this and try to get all of those elements correct. Right. Because it was never like the people pretty much that started on Broadway finished it on Broadway. When Hugh Jackman's contract was up, they ended it on Broadway. Right. And then he went he went on to do, um, I guess, like an arena version of it, a mm-hmm. huge version of it in Australia. And then after that, there was nothing. There's a there was a, a Spanish language adaption in Peru. I read, which would be interesting to see. Um, but there's not been like any sort of touring cast or anything. And and I'm so glad that we got to see it because I was like, this this musical's so underrated, and it's got such great music. It does. It has really fun music. Um, really the one that I missed ballads. though that was in the original that um, they have as like a bonus track is uh, the Tenafield Sadler. Oh, yeah really like that song. I'm, I am sort of bummed that they didn't include it, even though it has a lot of quote-unquote Australian themes. Yeah, I think it was more they made the decision just because they were th- afraid that people wouldn't understand. Right. Which maybe they would, maybe they wouldn't. But I like that they added it as a bonus on there, just in case. Just um. for people like me, who actually was like, I like this song, and then it wasn't in the in the version we saw, and I was like, oh yeah, they cut out stuff, okay. And I would love also to see this be made into a film. I think I feel like you'd have to use Hugh Jackman, and now he's so buff. I don't know if he could portray Peter Allen as much, but he'd have to lose. Hey, some he weight. lost a lot of weight for Lame Is. So. That's true. So That's true. Knows? But he'd have to buff it back up for if they're making. Or I guess they're making the last Wolverine film, but he said he's going to play. He keeps saying he's. It's like J.K. Rowling. I'm not doing any more Harry Potter. I'm not doing any more Wolverine. Like when when I saw him at the live show, he was like, "I think this is the last of my Wolverine." Like I feel like there's going to be a point there where he's like, "I'm done working out." <laughs> It's not going to be because he doesn't want to play the part. It's going to be, I just want to eat what I want to eat. Right? I want, don't want to work out this much anymore. Oh, my gosh. All right, guys. Thank you so, so much for joining us again for this week. I am going to be out next week, but Jackie and James Lott Jr. are going to take the head in the musical we said we were going to do this week, which we did push for James because he really wanted to be a part of it, which is a chorus line we'll be doing next week. Um, so have fun with them. You can always find us uh, SoundCloud, Google Play, iTunes, rate, comment, subscribe. Um, and then also we have a Facebook page and we also have Broadway Beatdown as our Twitter. So go find us there. And you can always find me, BFIPS14. And me, 123JackieB on all platforms. Thank you, guys. Have a good week. Phil Svitek and the entire Popcorn Talk Network. We would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals. Afterwards, I'm like, okay, when Alexis does it, just put it.